Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Before, um, before I get to the message today, there's something that I want to, want to speak to. Uh, you know, Jimmy took over senior pastor back in April, and uh, he, he's new to the territory, and there are some subjects that's a little touchier uh, when you're the senior pastor of the church, because uh, when people throw darts, that's where they aim them now, see. Uh, but I can get away with a little bit more. I am retired, I'm, but I'm like a bad penny. You can't get rid of me. And, uh, and so I, I want to address this. Now, if you are new here, uh, you will know, and if you've been around for a while, you know that we don't talk about money. We, we, we don't push that. We never have. Uh, I've never wanted to be equated with TV preachers that do that sort of thing. I believe that if God's got your heart, he's got your billfold. Uh, and if he doesn't have your billfold, well, you do the math. Um, but I, I do want to address this just briefly and in love, and, and hopefully that you will understand. As you probably noticed, we don't take an offering here, but that doesn't mean that we don't need one. Um, we don't you have ushers passing the plate in front of you so that the people sitting next to you can see what or if you give. But we placed offering boxes just outside of the sanctuary doors because we trust that you will give. It takes money to run the ministry. I wish it didn't, but it does. Not just the ministry inside of the church doors, but also the many ministries that we do outside of our church, and there are plenty. We are dependent upon your giving to keep the church operating and those ministries running. Unfortunately, some of you are not giving, and others are not giving as God has commanded Maybe you don't know how to give. Maybe you don't know why you should give. Maybe you've never been taught that giving is a part of your spiritual life, a part of your responsibility to God. Uh, maybe, uh, or maybe you just don't give because you choose not to. You think that since you haven't been struck by lightning lately that God really doesn't care. How many of you today, here today are tithers? If you're tithers, you shouldn't be afraid to raise your hand. You give 10% or more off, uh, off the top to the ministry. Um, giving is one of those areas that we keep to ourselves. It's our secret. Nobody but God and the church treasurer knows what we give. We can act the part of a good Christian. We can uh, be involved in church activities. We can smile and shake everybody's hand after the service and still rob God every Sunday. Um, from the beginning, God has commanded us to give him the first fruits of our labor. He's commanded us to give back to him the tithe which is a tenth of what we've received from our labor, and that we give it to him first before we do anything else. In Leviticus 27.30, God said a tithe of everything, from the land where the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord, and it is holy to the Lord. God has set aside the first tenth, the first fruit of our labor for himself. He has separated it as holy to himself. God has said plainly and unequivocally, this is mine. You can have the rest to do with as you please, but the first tenth belongs to me. You see, tithing is an act of obedience. It's an act of worship. It's acknowledging that everything that you have is a gift from God, and it's also an act of stewardship, surrendering to God what he's asked for. But to refuse to tithe is not only to steal what belongs to God, but to turn and use it on yourself is a great sin. In Malachi chapter 3, God said this to his people. 
He said, yet from the days of your fathers you've turned away from my statutes and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? And God answered, will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me, but you ask, how do we rob you? And God responds in tithes and offerings. So you're cursed with a curse, yet you and the whole nation are still robbing me. The curse that God was speaking of there isn't being struck by lightning or dying some horrible death, but the curse that God is speaking about is missing the blessing that comes from giving God what he has asked for. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And then he adds, test me in this. Challenge me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there be not room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I want you to know today that God is true to his word, and he does deliver on his promises. The Bible teaches that we are to invest in the kingdom of God. We live in a country that was built on the principle of capitalism, and the fundamental idea of capitalism is delayed gratification. Instead of taking the money that we make and spending it all uh, the day we get it, we save it and we invest it, which allows our capital to go to work for us, expanding our wealth. The most important investment we can ever make is in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God has eternal rewards. These returns aren't just for us, but they're for our family, they're for our children, and for our grandchildren. This generation of Christians must invest in the things of God for the sake of the next generation. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all that other stuff will be added to you. If you invest in the kingdom of God, you won't lose anything in a final analysis. If you want to know how serious you are about investing in God's kingdom, take a look at your checkbook. Your checkbook is an objective, concrete record of where your treasure is and where your heart is. So having said that, I want to challenge you to become a tither. For the next month, for the next month, test God. Test God in this, and you will see that God is as good as his word. My mom and dad taught me to tithe. Dad used to say to me, you can never outgive God, and if you think you can, go ahead and try. And you know what? My dad was right. I have never been able to outgive God. It doesn't make any sense on paper to think that you can live better on 90% of your income than on 100%, but this is a promise of God, and God does not lie. You cannot outgive him, and he loves a cheerful giver. So much for the commercial. So much for the commercial. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Lamentation chapter 1. I'll give you an hour to find it. Lamentation chapter 1. That's one of those books of the Bible. You don't go, you know, I'm going to start reading the Bible Monday morning, and you open your Bible to the book of Lamentations. That's not some place you ordinarily will go. But there's a couple of verses there in chapter 1 that I want to, I want to use as our text today. So when you get to Lamentation chapter 1, even if you don't, stand to your feet. <laughs> I'm sure they'll put it up on the screen for you so you can read it and you can find it later. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Lamentations is right there. Yeah. All right, say it with me good and loud. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. 
Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I feel better about you already. In light of what God has taken place in Israel in these last few days, the Holy Spirit brought me to this message. But it isn't a message about Israel. It is a message about America. And I want you to listen to this scripture. Verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. There was no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Father, I pray today for your anointing over your word. God, I pray that it will move us. God, it will shake us. It will stir something inside of us. Because, God, we are living in these times. Father, we need to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. And, God, we need to prepare the world around us and get them ready to meet him. Father, I pray for your anointing of the word. I pray the enemy will be bound and cast out and that your Holy Spirit might have complete freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you're the least bit concerned about the future of our country, this scripture should stir you. It should shake something deep within you and wake you to the urgency of the days that we're living in. The signs of God's judgment are at hand. We've been given a fair warning. God has given us many opportunities to repent of our sin and to turn to him. He's given us every opportunity as a nation to turn from our sin and come back home to him. But we continue to ignore God's pleas and to delve deeper and deeper into our sins. The state of Ohio, our state, the Buckeye state, in November, we'll be voting on whether to put abortion into our state constitution. This is how far we've fallen. Allowing abortion at any stage of pregnancy, that means up to the day of birth. If you're appalled by what Hamas is doing to the children in Israel, you should be appalled by this. The world is at war around us as terrorists filled with hatred are killing innocent people while our politicians in Washington, D.C. are busy playing political games. The kingdom is headed for a fall. And the responsibility for the outcome of our situation is on us. It's on you and me. We will have no one to blame but ourselves. There's some people who say that they don't believe in God. As a matter of fact, there seems to be many people who boldly state that they believe that there is no God. Now, I don't know why they say that. I don't know if they've done their due diligence and searched all of the evidence and all knowledge and haven't found God anywhere, and they've arrived at the conclusion that they truly don't believe that God exists, or whether they've done none of those things and they just are willingly ignorant so they can continue to live in their sin. God has said that the penalty of unbelief is death and condemnation in hell. Where the worm never dies, where the fire is never quenched, and where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Some people imagine hell as a place of pleasure. They talk about how when they go there, they'll be able to party with their friends. 
while others see in their minds an image of darkness and fire and punishment where those who've rejected God have died and are imprisoned for the rest of eternity. But I want you to understand that hell doesn't begin at our physical death. The Bible teaches that the penalty of death begins to fall on men and women when they choose to not believe in God. Their foolish heart becomes darkened and their intellect loses the ability to perceive spiritual truths. They're given over to a reprobate mind so they can no longer comprehend the truth. They will no longer have the desire to seek God or to know God. They won't be able to discern what is right from what is wrong because they've chosen to remove God from their mind and from their life. And without God, they will begin to experience hell. We have put God out of our minds in this country and we are beginning to experience, experience hell. Romans 1 says their mind is reprobate. God is no longer present in their thoughts. So the decision-making process breaks down. Their ability to discern good from evil is abated, and their life begins to spiral toward destruction. They live their life without the influence, the protection, or the blessing of God, and they begin to enter hell. This country is beginning to enter hell. Their decisions are made without God. They raise their children without God. When they face sickness, they face it without God. When they have a financial crisis, they do it without God. When they have marriage problems, they deal with them without God. When somebody that they love dies, they walk through the valley of death without God. And finally, when their own life is over, they will enter into eternity without God. It has nothing to do with education or intelligence or intellect. It has nothing to do with race or culture or religion. They might attend church on Sunday morning, believe in their heart that they're a Christian, but the evidence exposes them for who they really are. They fit well into the world that doesn't know or serve God because they are comfortable in their sins and they have no desire for true righteousness. They know that the Bible is the infallible word of God. And yet they refuse to live by its wisdom. They know that Jesus promised at the consummation of the age he would come again as a conquering king to judge this world and to judge sin, but they continue to live like he'll never show up. Church, the judgment of our world is on the horizon and our returning king is waiting in the wings. Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon. And we have been warned. Matthew 24, 42 says, Therefore keep and watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In Mark 13, we are told, be, be on your guard, be alert. Do not, you, you do not know when that time will come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let's watch and be sober. Revelation 16, 15 warns, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. In Revelation chapter 4, John the Revelator was summoned into the presence of God. And there God revealed to John the unfolding of the future of this world. John saw what was coming. He saw what you and I are witnessing today. He saw the deterioration of the testimony of God's church. He saw sin spreading like a plague across the planet Earth. He saw the teeming of hell's battalions preparing for one last offensive against God's creation. And even though John knew that it was all take place after his life on earth was over, he was so overcome by what he saw that he cried out in his spirit, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Christian, that should be your heart's cry. 
The world desperately needs Christ appearing. There are too many people suffering and too many dying. We're consuming our planet and we're destroying each other and we desperately need Jesus to return and reclaim it all. But my question for you today is, do you long for the Lord's return? Do you look toward the eastern sky and pray for the trumpet of God to sound or would the return of Jesus ruin your plans? We've turned Christianity into a religion of the past. We talk about our history. We tell Bible stories and we teach our children about what was. But church, I want you to know that Jesus is no longer a baby in the manger. He's no longer a preacher teaching beatitudes or a miracle worker feeding the multitudes. He's no longer a beaten and bloody martyr dragging a cross up Golgotha's hill. He's no longer just a crucified Savior who stepped out of the grave, but he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for the Father to say, it is time for you to return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and fix this thing. Set your house in order because Jesus is coming soon. Don't be caught unprepared. Be sure that you're saved. Don't hope so, guess so, or think so, but know that you are a child of God. Be sure of the salvation of those in your household. Make sure that your husband is saved. Make sure that your wife has been born again. Share the gospel with your children and pray with them to surrender to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. Make sure that your friends and your neighbors know who Jesus is. The U.S. Marine Corps uses a phrase, carpe diem. Seize the day. All too often we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it. But once we've lost it, it's too late. It's too late to change anything, too late to fix anything. It's too late for us to do anything about it. When we finally lose what we once had and what we have taken for granted, we find ourselves burdened with regret and remorse, wishing we'd have done things differently. But the opportunity has passed us by and will never come around again. So we must seize the day. There isn't a person here today who has known of a time in their life when America did not exist. To all of us here today, America has always been baseball, apple pie, and the red, white, and blue are as normal to us as the sun rising in the morning. We've known nothing else. We're used to having the freedom of speech, and we're used to having freedom of religion. We're used to having the right to bear arms and the right to vote on our leaders. We're used to the blessings and benefits of living in the freedom of America, but we rarely appreciate what we have. We may occasionally have rioting in our streets or a virus that scares some people so much they lock themselves away and refuse to come out. But compared to the rest of the world, we in America don't have much to complain about. Have you ever considered what it would be like if it was all suddenly taken away? What if today was our last day of freedom? What if tomorrow morning our enemies would succeed and America would cease to exist? What if tomorrow the kingdom of America would fall? It's not an unreasonable question. Some nations of this world would like nothing better than to see our country removed from the face of the earth. We don't have as many friends as you've been led to believe, and even in our own country and among our own people, we see the rise of those who would do away with America and all that she stood for. In recent years, America has received threats from our enemies who would like nothing more than to see our country destroyed, and along with it, our rights, our freedoms, and our way of life. We are not invulnerable. 
were unassailable. We've been attacked in the past, once at Pearl Harbor, where it nearly destroying our naval fleet and killing over 2,400 people. We were attacked a second time on 911, where 3,000 people lost their lives and over 6,000 people were injured. But as a nation, we survived. We rose from the ashes and we pulled ourselves together. We regrouped and we rebuilt. During our time of crisis, many people fell to their knees in prayer, seeking the face of God, praying for our country. And the American life rose up from the depths and we lived on. Those attacks pulled us together as a nation. And if you remember, for a few days, we were all just Americans. We were truly the United States of America. As much as I hate what happened on September the 11th, I really miss what happened on September the 12th. There were no longer Democrats and Republicans. We were no longer black or white, males or females, gay or straight, liberal or conservative. We were just Americans. Do you remember that? But over the course of time, our divisions came back. We slowly slid back into our old ways. We redivided ourselves at every level. But even worse, we rose from our knees and once again turned our back on God and became comfortable in our sins. Some people will say America is the greatest nation on earth. We're the strongest military power in the world and we have nothing to fear. But what we fail to realize is the judgment that will come upon this nation won't be orchestrated by a terrorist. Our judgment won't come at the hands of a military power. The judgment on America won't be the result of the plans of evil men, but it will be directed by the hand of God as his judgment for our sins. We won't be able to stop it. God will use our enemies. He will use people that are worse than we are. He'll use the hand of the devil himself to bring us to our knees, but in the utter chaos of his judgment, God will never lose control. Are you listening to me? He will never lose control. There have been seven world empires in the history of our world. The first was Babylon, the representation of what man is capable of without God and what he will do when he turns his back on God. But as great and powerful as Babylon was, God dissolved it. After Babylon came Egypt, then Assyria, and then Babylon rose again and it fell again. After that was Medio persia and then Greece, and finally there was Rome. We need to learn from history. About the time that Jeremiah began to prophesy, Egypt had nearly been removed from the picture. The Syrian army was beginning to crumble. Nabopolassar, the Chaldean governor of southern Babylonia, had taken control of Babylon, and he ultimately finished off the Assyrians and Nineveh, their capital. If you're keeping track, that is where Syria is right now. The Babylonians took control of what is known as the Fertile Crescent. It's what we know today to be the Middle East, most precisely the nation of Iraq. And there they established the Babylonian Empire once again. Do you see how relevant the Bible is? Nebuchadnezzar became king of the Babylonian Empire in 605 B.C., and he demanded loyalty from all of the nations that he had conquered. But Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, refused the prophet Jeremiah's warning. Jeremiah had preached and he had warned. But Jehoiakim ignored the warning of God's prophet 
Instead, he tried to pay politics. He tried to compromise with the enemy and work out a deal. He swore his loyalty to Egypt, and when he did, Jerusalem and the surrounding country was attacked and conquered by the Babylonians, just as Jeremiah had prophesied. The same scenario took place on three different occasions. Remember that, three times. The first time, Nebuchadnezzar took thousands of captives to Babylon. The second time, he captured the king, and he took them to Babylon, where they were put to death. But the final time, the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Their temple was burned, the people were taken captive, and they were exiled from their land. That is the history of the fall of Judah. The fall of Jerusalem, their capital city, and the destruction of the temple. That's the history. But it wasn't the cause. The people of Judah had turned their back on God. They surrounded themselves with prophets to preach only the messages that they wanted to hear. They began worshiping idols and false gods. Their society was overrun by the base sins of the flesh, and their conscience became so seared that they felt no guilt for their sin. They were entering hell. Jeremiah preached to them to repent, and to turn back to God, but they wanted nothing to do with his message. Instead, they wanted to hear how good things were, how much better they would be. They were convinced that God wasn't concerned about their sins. He just wanted to bless them. They refused to heed Jeremiah's warnings, and one fateful day, God pronounced judgment. Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was burned, and the people were enslaved. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it was all over. The kingdom had fallen. Most of us are content to exist in our own little world. There may be trouble on Wall Street, but it doesn't really concern us because we're not invested there. There may be war in the Middle East, but there's always been trouble there, and we've become oblivious to it. It's in the news now, but in a couple of weeks, we'll forget about it and go back to doing what we've always done. There may be starvation and disease in third world countries, but we don't care because we have plenty like an animal in an exhibit at the zoo who is in its simulated environment, we are content in our, to live in our own simulated environment, unconcerned about anybody else. As long as there's food in our refrigerator and a balance in our checkbook, we're satisfied. We have no real fears. We have no real concerns. The only stress we allow ourselves to feel is who are going to win a big game on Saturday or who's going to win The Bachelor on TV. But we prefer it that way. We don't want to know anymore. We don't want anybody to come along and, and mess it all up because in our simulated world, ignorance is bliss. We don't want to know more. We don't have any desire to be informed. We just want to exist, to live in our own little world, believing that we are safe and secure. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The people refused to listen to his warning of God's impending judgment. They ignored his message until they were finally overtaken by the Babylonians. I know how depressed and defeated Jeremiah must have felt. To preach his heart out, to warn his people time and time again, only to have his message rejected on a regular basis. I know how it feels to present the gospel time and time again, only to have people walk out of the church on Sunday just as lost as they were when they came in. The book of Lamentations is Jeremiah's heartfelt expression as he watched God's people fall in judgment. His book is written in the form of a funeral dirge, a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. 
One author stated that every letter is written with a tear and every word with the sound of a broken heart. There are five laments in the book of Lamentations, each describing a phase in the judgment of God's people for their sin. Chapter 1 is the beginning. The kingdom has fallen. Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. The nation is in captivity, punished for her sin, and God's judgment has finally come. The prophet Jeremiah is looking at the aftermath of the destruction of his beloved nation, and he's weeping with inconsolable grief. In chapter 2, Jeremiah laments the once beautiful Jerusalem. His nation's capital now sitting in ruin. Buildings and businesses are destroyed, and the temple, the church, has been desecrated and burned to the ground. In chapter 3, the prophet is so overcome with grief and sorrow that he wants to die. Jeremiah feels utter hopelessness. It's as though God has covered himself with the clouds so that Jeremiah's prayers can no longer reach him. In chapter 4, he laments the horrendous actions of God's people as a result of the judgment. Pain and starvation prevail, and cries of starving children are heard in the streets, while some women boil their own baby's flesh for food. And then in the final chapter, the prophet of God beholds the totality of the judgment. God's people lost not only their freedom and their property, but they lost their self-respect. They were forced to labor as slaves. They were abused and starved and raped by the Babylonians who had conquered them. And seeing it all, Jeremiah pleaded with God for divine mercy and the restoration of his people. Church, how far are we from seeing what Jeremiah saw? Will we learn anything from history? The sins of the American people have brought our nation to an all-time low. We no longer tolerate sin, but we have come to embrace sin and to defend sin. We celebrate the abominable practices of misguided people and criticize anybody who dares speak against them. There isn't a sin mentioned in the Bible that we in America don't commit with regularity. Infidelity, adultery, homosexuality, drunkenness, lying, cheating, stealing, and murder are everyday occurrences. How can somebody say that they believe in evolution and that man is progressing and improving when they look at where we have fallen to as a nation? False religions are considered acceptable ways to God. Even though this country is founded upon the Bible and Christianity, it's now made room for everything and anything else. Islam, Hinduism, and the religions of the East, devil worship, and the occult are all protected and promoted, but Christianity has been banned from the courthouse to the schoolhouse. Seems that the only religion in America that isn't free is the one that our country was founded upon. Homosexuality, the pinnacle of godliness, is now defended as normal behavior. But Romans 1 declares it to be the last stage of a reprobate mind. See if this doesn't sound like America. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But the thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. For this reason, God gave them over in their sinful desires to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that they do what ought not to be done, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Doesn't that sound like America? While our world continues this death spiral toward hell, we in God's church not only sit and do nothing, but we bathe ourselves in feel-good preaching. We ignore our sins and we refuse to believe that the judgment of God is at hand. We're not interested in sharing the gospel and saving others from hell. We just want to sit back in our padded pews and hear how much God can give us. Listen to me, church. If you turn on a preacher and he's telling you how much money God's going to give you, turn him off. He's a liar and a false prophet. If you turn on a preacher and he's talking about social issues instead of preaching the gospel, turn him off. Time is too short to preach anything but the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. God's preachers are preaching repentance. God's preachers are calling out sin. God's preachers aren't talking about politics, but they're proclaiming that the way of the cross leads home. This kingdom is going to fall. Judgment is coming. If we continue on as we are, there will come a day when the America that we have known and love will no longer exist. We need to learn from history. America has been attacked twice by foreign enemies in the years of our existence, but I fear that just as Jerusalem the third time may be our last. Three strikes and we're out. We'll wake up in the morning and the sun won't rise as it did in the past. The American flag will no longer be flying over the courthouse lawn. The Constitution will be broken from its vault and burned on the steps of the Capitol as politicians are sorted like captives at a Nazi concentration camp. Armed soldiers will walk our streets. Businesses will be closed, schools will cease to exist, and churches will be locked as pastors are imprisoned or murdered for Christianity's sake, and the worship of Jehovah God will be outlawed. You say, preacher, I don't like to hear this. I don't like to hear this. Tell me something good. Tell me, tell me something positive. Tell me something that will comfort me and, and make me laugh and make me feel at ease. When I go to lunch today, I want to be having a good time, but I can't because I'm bound to tell you the truth. I have a message from the Lord, and I'm obligated to deliver it. As a nation, our sins are great, and the judgment of God is at hand. Time is short, opportunities are few, and the time to get right with our Creator will pass us by if we don't heed God's warnings and repent of our sin and turn our face back toward God. There's never been a world empire since Rome. Many have tried, many have failed. The closest thing to a ruling world empire that we have ever known is America. We've touted ourselves as the most powerful nation on earth. We pride ourselves as being the first and being the best in every field. We're in everybody's business and everybody's affairs. 
but only when it involves our own interest. We fight their wars, we buy their goods, we trade on their markets, and we tell them it's for their own good. But for this reason, much of the world doesn't consider America to be a friend. But they believe America to be their enemy. Though they've never met an American, they just don't like Americans. And sometimes rightfully so. Because many of us live in our own little world while we ignore the real trouble in theirs. United States of America is 247 years old. And as kingdoms go, we've lasted a long time. But how much longer do we have left? The signs of the time are breaking forth around us, but we've learned nothing from history. Just as Judah, we've turned our back on our Creator. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, gross sexual sins that are an abomination of God's design have become our way of life. God has sent us messengers preaching repentance, but we've ignored them. And just like Israel and Judah in Jeremiah's day, we will refuse until judgment comes. What if America suddenly disappeared? What would happen to you if suddenly this kingdom fell? Psalm 103.8 tells us the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. The very last thing that God wants to do is send judgment upon our nation. I'm going to say that again. The very last thing that God wants to do is send judgment on our nation. God's love for us is so great and so beyond our ability to comprehend that even while we're rejecting him, he's still loving us with an unbounding love. That's why even when we've been rebellious, God gives us means of escape from his judgment. We're familiar with 2 Chronicles 7.14. But 2 Chronicles 7.14 isn't just a call to prayer. Some people quote this scripture and they think that all we have to do is drop to our knees for a couple of minutes, pray to God for help, and he'll come running. But this verse says much more than that. Verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, My people. God isn't speaking to the world here. He's speaking to the church. He isn't speaking to the Muslims or the Hindus, but God said, my people, those who say that they serve me and represent me, my people. We want to blame sinners uh, for the trouble in America. We sit in the church and we point our bony finger at those who have rejected God and we blame them for what we're seeing, but that's not who God says is to blame. Judah was God's people. The judgment in Jeremiah's day was upon God's chosen people. The judgment that we're seeing today isn't upon the unbelievers in this country, but is a judgment upon God's church. It's an indictment against God's people who have forsaken God and pursued sin. We can point our fingers at the world and try to put the blame on sinners, but sinners are just acting like sinners act. Judgment is coming to America because God's people have forsaken God in his word. So he says, if God's people shall humble themselves. The first thing that we have to do is swallow our pride and admit that we're not the people that we claim to be. God's people today aren't very familiar with humility. We are proud and self-righteous. We want to know what God can do for us. We want to know how we can be blessed. We want to be rich and healthy and have a heaven on earth. We want God to serve us. But God said, you have to humble yourself. Swallow your pride that tells you that you're enlightened and educated and you know all that you need to know. Swallow your pride that says, I'm good enough in spite of what God has said. Swallow your pride that challenges God to accept you on your terms instead of on his. Know who you are and know who you're not. We were all created from the dust of the earth, and one day to the dust of the earth we will return. We are nothing without God. 
The only value that we have is the value that he's placed on us. We are but lowly creatures given the gift of life by our creator, made in his image and after his likeness. And God has put us here to glorify him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. He's not talking about just speaking some religious words. He's not telling, uh, about telling God what's wrong and then demanding that God do what you think needs to be done. Prayer is communion with God. It's shutting yourself in your closet and waiting for an audience with the Ancient of Days. It's sitting in the waiting room until the atmosphere is filled with praise and prepared for him to enter. He said, pray and seek my face. Prayer, real prayer, is seeking the face of God. But if we're ever going to see God, we have to turn our face toward God. We have to stop looking to man to solve our problems. We have to stop looking to politicians. We have to stop looking to presidents and, and to Congress. We have to stop looking to so-called experts. We have to stop looking to the world for answers and once again seek the face of our Creator. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the rub, and turn from their wicked ways. You have to change your direction. You see, true repentance is putting all of your sin in the rearview mirror and never turning back. It's not justifying your sins or trying to bring a few of them along with you, but it's forsaking your sins for the holiness of God. You can't just clean up your act a little bit and sit in church on Sunday morning, but you have to become holy as God is holy. We can hold church services and pray till the cows come home, but until we repent of our sin, God is not going to help us. God said then, when you've done these things, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. If my people, that's an if-then proposition, Meaning that one thing won't happen without the other. Church, that means if nothing happens, it's our fault. God is willing and he's waiting, but what happens next is up to you and me. We have the power to change things. We have the power to save our nation. It is up to us. God's call for repentance is a message to God's church, and repentance must begin here among God's people. Verse 15 says, My eyes shall be opened, my ears attend unto the prayer that is made. Where? in this place for now i have chosen and sanctified this house that my name be, be lived there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually the muslims want blood the hindus want sacrifice the cultists want your mind and the terrorists want your destruction but when Jesus gave his life on Calvary and arose from the grave, he conquered sin once and for all, and all he wants to give you is life everlasting. What needed to be given has already been given. What blood that needed to be shed has already been shed. What needed to be sacrificed has already been sacrificed, and we're now waiting for his victorious return. I love the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If you think the rapture of the church is going to be some kind of secret that only a few people are going to know about, you need to reread those verses. 
When Jesus comes, everybody is going to know it. Revelation 1 says, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. Jesus is coming soon. The Apostle James saw it as justice. Jude viewed it as judgment. Peter considered it to be majesty. Paul called it rapture. The writer of Hebrews saw it as the fulfillment of prophecy. But I believe it's a necessity. If you're not praying for Christ's return, you need to examine your heart. If you're not anxious for his appearing, you need to check your priorities. But if you are not ready to meet him, you need to humble yourself. Get on your knees, confess your sins to God, turn your back on your wicked ways, and ask God for forgiveness, because Jesus is coming real soon. There needs to be some knee time this morning. You can't just sit there in your seat and command God to do something about the trouble in our nation. This is an if-then proposition, and what comes next is up to you. It's up to you and me. It's time for us to get on our knees, to humble ourselves and pray, and turn from our wicked ways. We are the kingdom of America's last hope. Father, I pray today that this message will penetrate our hearts so deep that we can't get away from it. Father, I know this was very serious, and God, I know that's probably not what some people were expecting today. But God, how can we sit back and do nothing and still watch this world fall apart? How can we sit back and not warn people when the return of Jesus is very soon? Father, I pray today will be a day of repentance, a day where we turn away from sin and we turn toward you. We turn from death to life. We turn from hell to heaven. Father, have your will and your way in every heart, every life, every family, every marriage, every home. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.